Welcome to the Cashflow Ninja, the podcast sharing how to create and grow income streams and manage, multiply, and protect your wealth in the new economy. Are you tired of trading your time for money? Do you desire freedom today instead of retirement in 10, 20, or 30 years? I'm MC Lobsher, and this is the Cashflow Ninja. Hello, everyone. MC Lobsher here, and welcome to another episode of the Cashflow Ninja. I've got another fantastic show for everyone with another fantastic guest. I'm joined by my friend, real estate investor, entrepreneur, Colin Murphy. Colin, great to see you. You too, MC. Good to be back. How are you doing? Awesome. Awesome. Looking forward to, to catching up. Colin has been on the show before. If you go to CashflowNinja.com, our newly uh, relaunched website with a ton of resources, and you put in Colin Murphy, you'll find the episode that Colin was on, I would highly recommend you check that out as well as all of the other episode with Cashflow Ninjas and also check out all of our resources. There's one particular resource that I would recommend. If you want to become your own bank, go to cashflowninja.com. There'll be a link to that or just go to your own banking system. .com. That's your own banking system.com. Colin, for listeners uh, that are not familiar with you and what you do, can you please share a little bit uh, more about your journey and background with them? Yeah, absolutely. Very happy to. So I'm originally from Ireland and I now live in Tampa, Florida. I'm 40 years old. I've been a full-time real estate investor since my mid-20s. I started out in London in the early 2000s selling advertising space in real estate magazines and showroom space for real estate exhibitions. So I got to travel all over the British Isles and Ireland and all over really Europe and South America chasing after realtors and developers and currency people and bankers and getting them to these shows in Liverpool and Manchester and Dublin. And it gave me a fantastic initial exposure to the, the real estate industry. And this was during the, the kind of boom years before the 2008 crash. And then after that, around 2006 or seven, I opened an office in Dublin selling real estate in emerging markets, mostly in Eastern Europe and Central America. That was for a British uh, agent and developer. And that business did great for a few years, but the credit crunch just wiped us out <laughs> completely. I had to close the office. I had to let everybody go except uh, the sales manager and start again from scratch. And so in 2009, I set up a company called Torcana with uh, two others, David and Catherine Shaw, and we started selling Florida condos to British and Irish buyers originally. And that went very well. And then the other guys moved to Tampa full time. And I was based in Madrid, Spain, because I'd married a Spanish lady. So I was working from a home office in Madrid, selling these Florida condos to British and Irish people. It's globalization at its best, right? Yeah. And that business went from strength to strength. But we made another big transition around 2014, where we stopped selling other people's properties or promoting other people's properties and went to, to buy, renovate and sell our own properties at two investors. And we started targeting American uh, buyers, American you know, wannabe landlords uh, via big investment groups instead. And so there were a few fits and starts. The first, first handful of deals barely broke even, worked their asses off trying to figure out how to renovate properties, how to promote them. But eventually we, we latched onto a kind of a rich seam of, of lower middle class single family homes in Northeast Tampa. And we just grew and grew every year. And I moved to Tampa from Madrid, uh, you know, about four years ago because the business was expanding so rapidly and kind of went from, you know, seven flips the first year to 15 the second. And then, you know, been doing 100 plus a year for the last three years. And 
you know, in a relatively small area in the Tampa Bay area. So it's it's been a it's been a hell of a ride, and uh, and and now things are changing again. Yeah, absolutely. So for our listeners not familiar with that market, what can you share about the Tampa market? Uh, what is some of the demographics there, businesses, and what are things that mm-hmm. folks need to know? It's a really great market to invest in. It's one of the top metropolitan, top twenty metropolitan areas in the USA, but it remains very very affordable. Obviously, you know, it's in Florida, it's, it's got, uh, you know, no state income taxes. That's a big plus. It's got a great climate. It's got a good culture. It's got a very diverse mix demographically in terms of retirees, which everybody knows Florida's associated with. But it's, Tampa's got huge universities, University of South Florida's 50,000 plus students. It's got a very diverse economy where you have large military bases here, MacDill MacDill Air Force Base, you have a big government presence, you have a strong tourism industry, you have a strong financial sector, you have a strong real estate sector. So, you know, you've you've a low, you know, low average age, affordable cost of living, low taxes. So there's got a lot going for it. And obviously Tampa's a big area that Tampa MSA has got more than four million people and you've got from very low income to you know million dollar mansions and everything in between. And we always focused on affordable uh, you know, lower middle class single family homes built, you know, after the 1970s with, you know, price ranges about 140 to 170. And for us, they were like the Goldilocks properties where you were above the low income stuff, which has kind of problematic tenants often and, and maintenance issues. But you're below the kind of higher end pool homes and newer homes where, where your cash flow suffered accordingly. So just in that kind of lower middle class sweet spot, we had the right kind of balance between uh, you know, rental income, uh, yields, price ranges, tenant quality, and and we've just been kind of milking that for all it's worth, and it's it's proven to be a great option. You know, a lot of our buyers were from California, for instance, who were in a very overpriced market. A lot of people did ten thirty one exchanges for maybe selling a six hundred thousand dollar one bed apartment in San Francisco. And, and using the proceeds from that to, to leverage and buy, you know, seven or eight single-family homes in in Tampa, and did a lot of business like that. And it's it's just a good market for people that have uh, want to get that balance between cash flow and and obviously we've been getting very good appreciation for quite a few years as well. That's great. It's just interesting how it stayed so affordable because it's a beautiful area, great area, and a lot of folks are obviously moving in, in into Florida. So yeah. it's been quite impressive that it stayed at the cost of living and and all also the the housing it is i mean and and you're right i mean you pointed out something good that when you're buying in a market with a very fast-growing population and and in florida it's been increasing at twice the u.s average for for many many years people just move here for for a lot of reasons that are not easy to replicate they're they're moving from the overpriced northeastern cities particularly and you know you had a low base i mean florida had a very big crash in 2007 or 8 prices fell 60 70 percent in some areas and it took a long time to get back up again but it's still an affordable market i mean the price to, to wage you know comparisons are, are much better than most other big cities so that is a bonus for sure if you want to move here to live uh, you can get a really nice house a really good value for money good schools all the rest of it and, and you can't do that in a lot of major cities anymore what are some of the rents uh compared to the, in that range that you guys are at the 140 to 180 range that you're purchasing properties for the after repair value 
you're looking at gross rent ratios of about 0.8%. So a typical $150,000 three bed, two bath, single family home with attached garage would rent for about $1,200 a month. And what are some of the, so what are some of the stuff that you guys are doing within your company? So you, you're still pr purchasing the properties, fixing it up, and then eventually selling it to investors, correct? Yeah. I mean, it's look, to be honest, it's, it's slowed down the last three or four months, but yeah, that, that mm -hmm. was the main business for the last six years. So it's, it's a little bit different now um, because inventory is just incredibly tight. Uh, you, you have, you know, a lot of people took their homes off the market. We used to buy more than half of our properties in the foreclosure auctions, which have been completely shut for the last four months. Yeah. Uh, you know, even more touring on foreclosures, you have more touring on evictions. So there's just a ton of properties that you can't buy and renovate that used to be able to buy and renovate. So the inventory is tightened up and has pushed prices up. And so the, the kind of profit margins for flippers are, are razor thin. And I'm not, you know, we've had a, you know, quite a few successful years in the past and I'm not going to keep barreling forward, uh, spending all our cash for, for razor thin margins because that, that can change, you know, from one quarter to the next pretty quickly. And if you're a flipper, you generally have to be prepared to own a property for up to six months. I mean, we try and sell them a lot quicker than that, but that's, that wouldn't be unusual to be owning something for six months. So, you know, I think asset prices are, are a little inflated at the minute because of those low interest rates, because of that inventory and, um, we're kind of threading a bit carefully. It's a bit like, uh, you know, before we were on a racetrack with a Formula One car, and now I feel like I'm on a Hyundai driving through the fog. Yeah, no, that's interesting to, to, to see that. And, and, and generally speaking, too, even before all of the moratoriums and so forth, what uh, type of uh, environment is Florida for landlords? It's, it's a good one. It's a very pro-landlord place. It's the total opposite of somewhere like New York or California, for instance. So here... As long as you follow the rules, which any competent property manager is going to be able to do, you're never going to have any problems with a tenant. And I mean, if obviously, if you place somebody properly, it's very rare that you would need to evict them. I mean, in my experience, it's like literally 1% of, of professionally placed tenants would need to be evicted on, you know, on average over the last five or six years. But if you do, it's in your favor. I mean, you, you generally have, um, you're able to get them out within, you know, 30, 40 days at a cost of about... $700. So it's a pretty easygoing, straightforward process. Obviously, some pleasant to have to deal with it. But really, in, in like 350 plus flips, uh, you know, in the last four or five years, I've, I could count the number of evictions I've had to deal with in, in two hands. And, and most of those were on properties I inherited it rather than, you know, people like I had to, you know, evict people and then renovate it afterwards. So it's, it's pretty rare. But if you need to do it, Florida is a very pro landlord state, low, low taxes, pro landlord. Yeah, it's, it's a pretty good business environment in general, really. Investors, don't sleep on this market and trends. Did you know that in many cities across the U.S., renters now outnumber owners? And demand will only increase. More and more will be renting in droves, and it's putting the squeeze on a tight rental market. Four Peaks Capital Partners has been successfully investing in this proven, recession-resistant sector for years, providing investors with passive income and capital appreciation. Protect your portfolio and invest in private real estate funds because the demand for affordable housing will only increase. Invest with Four Peaks and let us do all the work. Find out more by calling 877-5-INCOME. That's 877-5-INCOME. Or visit privateincomeinvesting.com. That's privateincomeinvesting.com. 
What are some of the changes that you've made for the environment that we're in? You mentioned a little bit your your um, pacing in the Hyundai and with <laughs> in the Hyundai through the fog. What are some of the things that you're doing to position yourself? What are you anticipating could happen in that market? We've seen interest rates that are so low. What are some of the things that you're that you're doing right now? And the changes that you've made? Well, just some stuff we've done. And, and it's also kind of general advice for anybody involved in real estate. You know, the first thing you should do is uh, increase your reserves and your liquidity because you're more likely to need them during the next two years than you did in the last two years. You know, if you have tenants that aren't paying, get in front of it. You know, maintaining open communication lines is essential. Maintaining open communication lines with your property managers is essential. You know, getting in front of them at the beginning of every month to see what their percentage collections are like and communicating very clearly with tenants what their options are, what the consequences are of, of just stonewalling you. You know, I would recommend with, you know, kind of a moratorium on evictions that, that could potentially last until after the election. I would we're avoiding buying uh, occupied homes. Uh, for example, you know, it's not something you, you know, it's just generally we, we buy a home, renovate it and, and sell it. So buying occupied homes is, is a little bit of a no-no for me because you, you might not be able to to get those people to leave. I would, you know, kind of avoid heavy lifting, you know, the kind of big complicated uh, renovations. I'm going to try and stick with light renovations, like cosmetic renovations, no kind of extensions, no, you know, replumbing or nothing that needs kind of very lengthy permit processes. We're avoiding Outliers, we're avoiding those weird houses that are bigger than average, smaller than average, older than average, you know, more expensive than average. Just kind of stick with the average, regular cookie cutter, bread and butter, whatever you want to call it, houses. Don't take on kind of complicated projects because you can get away with renovating a kind of a larger house on a busy corner beside a motorway, you know, during a boom. Somebody's going to buy it because it's just so much demand for everything. But if you kind of get stuck in the declining market, those are the types of properties that are going to sit there, you know, a very long time. Whereas if you have a regular house with a regular renovation and a regular floor plan, you'll you'll tend to get rid of it. You know, just kind of sticking with that low density, affordable single family homes, uh, the, the kind of higher end price points tend to be more price sensitive. Uh, high density is, is dangerous at the minute. There is a, a notable shift away from, you know, apartments in particular over to low density single family homes people aren't as excited about having lots of fancy shared amenities and and you know big tower blocks with lots of communal spaces as they used to be so i think these affordable low density single family homes with your own lot your own front door back door that's uh that's good and but just generally we're, we're, we're pacing ourselves you know this isn't a short-term thing you know some people were telling me back in march you know i can't wait until after the summer when this is done <laughs> they, they were kidding themselves this is uh this is a, a kind of a long haul that's going to drag forward a very long time uh, until after after the summer after the new year after an initial vaccine is found it's the, the economic repercussions are going to be and real estate repercussions are going to be there for a while but there's going to be a lot of opportunities I think next year in particular. So I don't, I, I want to keep some powder dry for that. I don't want to rush into any uh, kind of big decisions. I'm okay, you know, earning less money right now and, and having more liquidity and, and, and being a little bit safer. I've, I've had the, the, the fortune of having a lot of good years behind me. We've had a nine year boom and I've been in real estate for most of it. So I'm, I'm okay, you know, taking a little bit of a step back and I'm, you know, focusing on, you know, my, my own rental portfolio, I've added a couple of units to that. That's fine. I'm, I'm lending money to people instead of flipping houses because it's a lot easier to lend someone money at a 60% LTV for three months than it is to, to kind of go all in and, and flip your own property. So there's 
there's different things you can do and um you know we're, we're, we're okay but it's, it's definitely a time to to thread carefully and, and and kind of wait for the opportunities yeah it's interesting real estate moves slowly right it doesn't happen mm. overnight and um, this has been a very drawn out economic decline if you will this whole thing has taken uh, taken a while and maybe you want to speak to the lessons that you learned during the last downturn because you've been involved in this you've seen this firsthand yeah <laughs> and could take yeah. the lessons from that because sometimes for folks if, if this is your first time around you know you're you're chomping at the bit to, to go after it and find deals but you have to to wait i mean i can just speak from my own experience too that um, I would say the my first one go around was the 2008, 2009 one. The other one, I was just out of college. I wasn't really in the marketplace. I wasn't really investing anything. So I wouldn't count uh, that as any experience. But the last, the last one too, it took a while if you think about it. You know, 2008, like when did the housing market really bottom, bottom out? Was that like the end of 2011, 2012, if you look at the numbers now? Yeah, it, it took a very long time and, and it's, it's kind of hard even, you know, for me to remember that. And, and you're right, there's a lot of people, very successful, very smart people that have earned millions and millions of dollars, but it's all been in, in a boom. It's all been in this 2012 or 13 to 2019 period. I mean, I, I spoke with a, with a guy in a previous podcast who built up a massive syndicated portfolio of 2,000 units and a quarter of a billion dollar value just from 2013. And that, that's a fantastic achievement, but it's only in one market cycle. And, right. and he doesn't have the same scars that a smaller guy like me has. And, and you know, I, I, I was working through that last crisis. I had to close the business. I had to look people in the eye and, and fire them. I had to see, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars that was owed to me in commission just not appear. Just people just disappeared and, and you know, struggling to pay rent. And it's, it's not it's not nice. You know, it's not nice. And I was pretty young back in that period, like, you know, mid to late 20s. So I learned some hard lessons back then and, and they stuck with me and, you know, just, just keeping your, I never had a big fancy office, never had receptionist and the admin people and the marketing people. I always kept a very, very, ran a very lean business. And, and that's, it's much easier to uh, survive when you're lean. And, you know, I always kept our, our debt extremely low. We always, you know, tried to have strong, obviously not always, but certainly the last four or five years, trying to have strong cash reserves, trying to have that rainy day money. I mean, certainly everybody should have at least six months reserves i mean just as your personal reserves for for you and your family to pay your bills if you're spending you know five thousand dollars a month with your mortgage and your school fees and all the rest of it you should have at least twenty five thirty thousand dollars in a do not cut touch savings account you know you should have at least six months reserves for any rentals you have for for maintenance and and, and kind of vacancies and, and and capex set in a separate account as well and it's only the excess of that should should be invested and you should always have that kind of lean mindset because it's is you know we we've i could have gone harder at it you know if i'd have known there was going to be a a 10-year boom in 2010 i obviously would have been in fifth gear <laughs> the whole time right but you never know yeah. that you never know that so i was in second or third gear i'm i'm on a kind of a get rich slow trajectory and that that's fine by me real estate's a fantastic way to get rich slow and it's a very speculative and dangerous way to get rich quickly and you could say that about most investments i think and, and real estate's just one great vehicle for doing it as long as you have a little bit of, of caution and, and and care and, and kind of research carefully what you're doing and, and obviously get some advice from people that have been there and done that uh, before you um, you know, learning from your own mistakes is, is well and good, but learning from other people's is, is even better, uh, you know, as far as I'm concerned. You, you got to be careful and you got to be conservative. Try and surround yourself with some older 
older people that have been through a couple of cycles and, and ask their opinion of it. I mean, I was talking to a lender recently that, you know, family business had been in business for 30 years lending money. And during the crisis, because they were lending their own money and not some people just borrow money at 7% and lend it at 10% and that's their business, you know, and they, those guys went bust in 2008. These guys were lending their own money and they had like literally 220 or 30 short-term loans to, to investors and flippers that went south during the last crisis and they had to foreclose on 220 properties, had to get them through the foreclosure courts, which is expensive and, and, and long. They had to get them rent ready. They had to figure out how to hire property managers to manage them and get people in there to earn income and sell them off slowly over three or four years. You know, and, and you need that kind of uh, toughness and resilience and they wouldn't have been able to do that if they weren't lending their own money. And um, it, it takes a while for this stuff to go through. I mean, the, the prices started falling like you said, in, in late 2007, early 2008, but it took about two and a half years uh, for it to, to bottom out and for things to, to turn up again. It took a very long time for the bank to work through all those foreclosures and yep. all those evictions. And we could be looking at something just as significant as that and, and possibly even, even bigger, uh, you know, despite the fact that this recession has absolutely nothing to do with dodgy loans or subprime mortgages or credit default swaps or any of that kind of crazy stuff that went on. This is totally out of the blue pandemic stuff, but it could result in, in a massive wave of evictions and foreclosures because you've had a lot of these people that have been postponing their mortgage payments, postponing their rentals for four or five months. And some of them will, will catch up and some of them will pay, but a, a huge amount won't. And, and you've had government money you know, kind of supporting a lot of uh, companies and a lot of jobs, and that's not going to go on forever. I mean, you can do it for, for a certain length of time, but eventually you're just going to have to let that wave wash over you, and it's, it's, it's not going to be pretty. But the opportunities on the other side of it for people that have stayed liquid and stayed smart and, and kept a close eye on their personal finances and their business finances and, and their, their lenders and borrowers and clients, they, they could have an amazing three or four years ahead of them. We are living through unprecedented times, and many experts say that in the coming months and years, we're about to see some of the best real estate opportunities of our lifetime. Who's going to benefit the most from these opportunities? Those with access to capital, which is where the real estate accelerator comes in. Brought to you by Good Egg Investments, the real estate accelerator is an online course and mastermind that will give you everything you need to raise private capital for real estate syndications. Through building a killer brand that attracts the right investors, you'll be able to take advantage of the upcoming opportunities and scale your business. To learn more, check out cashflowninja.com forward slash good egg. This is going to be one of those times where you're going to have to uh, put skills to use, right? Because it it was um, the easy money is gone. Let's just say that in real estate, there's mm -hmm. no there's no there's no easy money in real estate anymore. You're going to you're going to have to play at a higher level to to come out on top now, and it's going to the the game has changed a little bit. What is going on? So in Tampa, I'm assuming, and again, I don't know, so I'd love to learn. There's probably a, a huge Airbnb business, right? The VRBO, yeah. Airbnb, short-term rental mm -hmm. market. What, what do you see happening there? Yeah, I mean, and, and obviously during the kind of stay-at-home orders and, and lockdown, whatever you want to call it, all of those 
businesses were, were, were shut. It was kind of the same as hotels were shut, you know, for, for about five weeks, six weeks. And, and so a lot of those uh, landlords basically had to continue paying their mortgages if they could, but they weren't able to rent out their, their units anymore. And, and kind of March, April was kind of peak season around here. And, um, you know, I, I rented a house recently uh, in, in near St. Pete Beach and the, the poor owner of it, he literally renovated it from top to bottom in March and then wow. had to close it for two months. Uh, and, you know, I was one of the first people to rent it afterwards. So all that stuff is open now. Uh, there's a lot of beautiful properties, apartments, condos, beach homes. I mean, they're, they're not you're you're not you're not getting a good deal. I, I've I've rented three uh, apartments or houses for for kind of long weekends with my family in the Tampa Bay area in the last two months, just kind of staycations, literally driving, you know, forty minutes an hour with with my wife and two kids just to stay by the beach for a few days, and the prices might be down maybe ten percent on what they were six or seven months ago. But you're not renting something for you know, two hundred bucks a night. That used to be five hundred bucks a night. They're not. They're not that distressed yet. I mean, the 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 places I was at were busy, and that's still a great market. I mean, obviously, at the minute, the prices of those buildings and those condos and those houses haven't fallen at all. They're 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 still. I mean, I, obviously, the amount of them being sold is down, but the prices of the ones that are sold aren't falling. So, if you're looking to get uh, you know, half million dollar condo on the beach for for three hundred thousand dollars. You're you're not getting it now. You might not get it this year. Uh, you're going to have to wait for that. But just as a general business model, short term rentals in in Tampa are, are have been a great business and 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 a great way to make a much higher return than you can get long term. I mean, it's not. It hasn't been my business. I'm I'm the guy who's who's selling. Uh, middle class suburban homes with with long term lets like eleven hundred dollars a month, twelve hundred dollars a month is nice and safe and dependable, and you don't need to clean the house every week and and, and replace the bed sheets and the towels every week and restock the the cupboards with cups and plates or any of that or pay a management company forty percent. So you make a lot of money of that if you have your own people and your own systems. But if you're outsourcing everything because it's obviously very labor intensive business short term rentals, it's 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 a little bit more unpredictable revenue wise if you but if you get a great deal if you get a great property and you have it looking well and you have it in those sites you mentioned verbal and airbnb and you have a good property manager and you're not too highly leveraged you could do great but i, I wouldn't advise people to take out a you know an 80 or 90 percent loan on a vacation rental because that that has to be serviced every month whether your occupancy is is 70 percent or 30 percent that was going to be my next question because I'm assuming that in a lot of the different markets, there was a lot of folks over leveraged, especially on the air, the Airbnb, VRBO, the short term rental kind of business side. A lot of folks over leveraged. So I think that will be interesting to watch to see what happens in that space because, you know, like you said, real estate moves slowly. And by the end of the year, next year, however long this takes, there was a lot of folks that you know, had many, many properties, all with uh, loans on it for short-term yeah, rentals. It is. And, and you know, I, I knew people that had rentals. During, I mean, I, I didn't own, really own rentals during the last crisis in 2007, 8, 9. I was just 25, 26. I didn't really start building rental portfolios until I was in my 30s. But I knew people that did. And, and being stuck with a portfolio of cash negative rentals is no fun at all. Yeah. It's just no fun, and and there's a, and you might be lose. People bought stuff that cost them hundred dollars a month, thinking this is I don't care. It's hundred dollars a month. It's it's appreciating by ten percent a year. It's appreciating by eight thousand a month. What do I care if I'm costing me hundred bucks a month? But when they went from 
you know, being worth $200,000 to $100,000 and, and you went from, you know, you're losing a hundred bucks a month and then you have these, you have to replace the AC or you have to replace a bathtub or something, you're, you're in big trouble. So the leverage is always a tricky balance to get, isn't it? Because on the one hand, you want to build a big portfolio. You'd rather have 10 or 20 houses than three or four houses. And, and you know, for most people, unless you're earning a ton of cash, that, that means taking on a lot of debt. But you need to make sure you have the reserves because you're going to have periods, a few bad quarters, even a couple of bad years where you're, those rentals will really struggle. And other times it'll just be easy. But you need to be careful that you have enough money because there are going to be times if you have a leveraged portfolio, there are absolutely going to be times when you're going to be spending a lot of money just to keep them. And, and they're not going to be paying you money. So, you know, I personally am lucky enough. I have, you know, portfolios, some of which I, I, I kind of bought with cash, some of which I leveraged. So my overall leverage is quite low, but that's only because I was flipping a hundred plus properties a year with my business partners and it, it threw off a lot of cash. And I had the luxury of doing that. You know, I didn't, I didn't need, you know, I could afford to pay a hundred thousand in cash instead of, you know, 20 or 30 deposit. But obviously most people don't, don't have that. They're working W2 jobs and they don't, you know, have the same opportunities that you might have running a flipping business. And this is running a flipping business after six tough, lean, <laughs> difficult years, and then four or five really good profitable years. That That's generally how it works, you know? So it's, it's very difficult. I mean, I would not be a big a cheerleader of people rushing in to expand their portfolios with a lot of leverage right now. Uh, I think if you can get something with a 60 or 70% loan to make sure the cash flow is very strong, Fair enough. Go go with it, but just just be careful with those reserves and the cash. But it's you know it's not, you got to keep doing stuff as well. You got to keep taking action. You can't just sit in your hands and do nothing because you're you're not going to get anywhere that way either. There's no. I wish I could give you the easy answer, the silver bullet, but it's not there, is it? You got to just figure it out. No, I was just going to say if you know of it, please let me know because I haven't mm -hmm. seen it. It's just uh, hard and smart work and you know consistency, right? The renovating properties. So obviously you've got your team there. Anything interesting that you find when you renovate some of the properties down there? Because every market is different. Any any anything interesting you can share? Well, yeah, I mean it's you know renovating is is a high. And I'm by the way, hands up. I'm not you know I'm not an expert renovator. I mean my business partner David Shaw was the expert renovator. I was the the guy who was buying them on the auctions and controlling the cash flow and the spreadsheets and the strategies and networking with the buyers and doing other stuff. But you wouldn't trust me to to hang up a shelf for you. But I mean I was <laughs> I was involved in all of it. But I know I know the kind of big picture stuff is stay away from the old houses. I mean they can be an absolute killer. There's a huge yeah. difference between buying a 90 year old frame house and a 40-year-old concrete blockhouse. They're just night and day. There's a big difference. And the reserves you need for each one are different. And there's whenever you're renovating a house, there's the, the must-do items and would-like-to items. The must-do items, if you're intending on, on selling that to somebody who's going to get a normal mortgage, you, you have to have a good roof. You need a good AC. You need good plumbing. You need electrics to code. And you need a good structure. And you have to take care of those issues. So you might buy a house and think my renovation budget's $30,000. And so, okay, does it need a roof? Okay, well, now you're down to 20. Does it need an AC? You're Now you're down to 16. Does it need new electric? Yes, it does, because it's 70 years old. Okay, so now you're down to 10. And so you're not, if you're, if you're intending to do a kitchen and floors and bathrooms and fans and lights and paint in and out, you're not. You're not doing that for 10. So you have to be very careful that too many times people rush in and, and do the cosmetic stuff 
uh, and forget the essential roofs, ACs, plumbings, floor structures, electrics. So get the four point inspection, make sure that you you have the budget to get those four points up to code because otherwise it's literally not insurable and it's not mortgageable. Um, so be very, very careful about that. And you know, if you want a rule of thumb, when you're starting out, uh, if you just double what you think it's gonna cost and double how long you think it's gonna take, you're probably gonna be pretty accurate for your first three or four deals. Camaplan is one of the leaders for personalized tax-deferred and tax-free IRA planning. Camaplan's team can assist you to take control of your retirement funds and financial future through self-directed investing. They offer support to clients throughout the entire process, from opening your first account to making your first purchase to self-managing your assets. Camaplan works with a growing network of investment providers in all asset categories and offer free investor education through classes, events, and webinars with over 15 years of leadership and self-directed retirement investing. Camaplan will help you unlock a convenient and safe way to manage your retirement investments and discover financial freedom beyond traditional investments, beyond Wall Street, and go from forever taxed to never taxed. Start to take control over your retirement funds and financial future today by visiting cashflowninja.com forward slash camaplan. Maybe you want to comment on, on the insurance that you would need in Florida too, because I'm assuming mm -hmm. there's different different insurance. Oh yeah, yeah. It's it's um, you know fl flood is a big one. There, there's obviously a lot of beautiful homes on the water around here, you know. But if you're in a flood zone, you know, which generally you know, different letters of V, which is right on the coast or A or AE, which is inland, but might be beside a lake or a canal or a low-lying area, a lender is going to oblige you to get a flood insurance policy on that. And a lot of people don't know this, but most of the country subsidizes Florida's flood insurance policy. The, the amounts of money people are paying for their flood insurance policies are nowhere near as much as actually gets paid out in flood premiums every year. So, you know, buying in, in flood zones is, is dangerous because it's, number one, it's expensive. It could cost you an extra $2,000 a year just to get flood insurance on a regular home. But number two, that $2,000 could jump up dramatically in two, three, five, ten years. It just takes Congress deciding to do something with FEMA or restructuring the way they, they balance their books or take on debt and your premiums could jump sky high. So I'd advise people to stay away from the flood zones which isn't that hard. There's, there's a lot of places you can buy fantastic properties that aren't in flood zones. Um, you know, a lot of people ask about hurricanes because obviously worried about those. Florida gets them. Yep. Um, I think the last time we spoke was only a few weeks after Hurricane Irma, which was, you know, the biggest hurricane to hit Tampa in about 90 years. And, and thankfully it did very, very little damage to any properties we had at the time. But yep. you're, you know, the damage that a hurricane would do uh, if you don't buy in a flood zone, the damage a hurricane is is really wind. You know, you're worried about the wind blowing obstacles at your house, blowing you know trees on top of your roof, stuff like that. So you know, you, you your typical flood insurance, your typical insurance policy will include a wind rider, which will cover you for damage to wind. So it's effectively a little bit like hurricane coverage for for wind. Uh, we take a lot of practical measures to mitigate that by making sure we always cut big tree limbs back from the roofs, make sure there's a good space between the roof and the tree limbs, make sure that new gutters are installed or that, you know, if they're relatively new, that, that they're cleared, make sure the kind of backyard slopes away uh, from, from the back door, generally does. And obviously, if you're if there is a hurricane or a big storm coming, the, you know, all property managers will communicate with tenants to 
bring all their stuff in, taking all the bicycles and, and, and toys and, and chairs and tables and get them all into your, your patios and, and, and garages out of the way. And if you do all that, there's really not much you need to worry about in terms of any damage to your house or, or certainly any insurance premiums. And, and Tampa is a little bit fortunate in that, you know, most hurricanes go on the East Coast rather than the West Coast. Or, or they blow through the, the Gulf of Mexico and, and hit much further west, like in, in Texas or Louisiana. So going kind of through the, the Atlantic, through the Caribbean and taking a, a sharp right after Cuba and going up towards Tampa, that's a very unusual path for a hurricane to, to take. And, and they come very, very rarely. And if they do, if you own a, a block house, not a frame house, a block house that's not in a flood zone, uh, where you've cut those three limbs back and you just have a normal insurance policy, you're, you're going to be fine. And, and the kind of the cost of a normal insurance policy for a $150,000 rental home is probably about $1,200, $1,300 a year. And that includes your, your liability, your fire, your theft, your damage, your wind. It's, it's, it's actually pretty reasonable. Storm windows, or do they have any of those too? Is any of that needed? Generally, no. I mean, the, the, you know, obviously new build wood. And, and I, you know, I live in a 20-year-old house yeah, and, and even my windows are crap. I had to get some replaced recently in one of the bedrooms and they're basically storm proof. They look like they could handle a hit from a bazooka. You know, the ones that are the current code, you know, generally windows are not, they're like single frame windows. They're, they're not particularly good. I mean, that is literally the norm, whether you're selling a $150,000 house or $500,000 house, the windows on 20, 30, 40 year old houses are not nothing special. And, and again, it's, it's not really something you need to, to worry about i mean they're not they're not going to break unless something very heavy hits them i mean if they do they do but it literally it hasn't happened i haven't had a single insurance claim from a like a broken window from a storm in in many many years um might have kids throwing footballs through them but that's tenants got to replace that don't they absolutely now one uh habit i've observed from wealthy and successful people they're always studying and learning new things what are you currently studying and learning well, I like, I read a lot. Uh, I like to read, uh, I like to get up earlier than everybody else, which I mean, just kind of starting the day quietly, kind of going through your, 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 your goals, having a quiet 30, 40 minutes. I think it's essential, especially nowadays when a lot of people, myself included, are working at home with, with kids at home and my, my spouse is working at home. So just having that 30, 40 minutes is, is essential. I use that to read business books. And then in the evenings, I read fictional books and, and my kids read their fictional books beside me on the couch. But in terms of uh, business books that I've read recently, uh, I read uh, Principles, Life and Work by Ray Dalio, big hedge fund manager. About six months ago, I read Miracle Morning by Hal Elrod. That's a great book for just just kind of setting your your, your goals and, and having a routine and, and kind of repeating what you need to do. And it's kind of he's a great way of mixing meditation and exercise and, and kind of business goal settings. That's Miracle Morning. I read one called Never Split the Difference by Chris Foss. It's a book on negotiation by a FBI hostage negotiator, which is an interesting angle. Um, then finally, what's the last one? Mindset by Carol Dweck. That's D-W-E-C-K. Um, she has a great way of talking about how there's people with a fixed mindset. There are people that believe that their abilities are fixed and, and they're a lot less likely to flourish and, and, and survive changes than people with a growth mindset. You know, people that believe that their abilities can be nourished and developed. So that's a really good book to, to get you in, in a kind of good frame of mind. So I enjoy doing that kind of stuff. You most definitely need a growth mindset for 2020 and beyond. Yes. <laughs> you do. You, you do. 
Absolutely. Colin, where can folks learn more about you? Where can they follow you? And where can they stay involved in, in all of the projects that you're involved with? I set up a website recently. It's called colininvestments.com, C-O-L-I-N investments.com. It's, it's a resource where I've published a bunch of real estate reports. You'll find links to videos that I've put up there. I have a podcast called Colin Podcasts about real estate, which you'll find on all usual platforms. I have a Facebook group where we talk about real estate. That's Colin Investments. You'll find me on Instagram, Colin G. Murphy. Yeah, I really enjoy you know talking about real estate. I really enjoy helping people kind of accelerate their real estate journey. So you know, one side is just the, the day-to-day business of buying and selling real estate and managing my own portfolio and lending money. But I, I do enjoy talking to people. Uh, helping people on a real estate journey, creating content that that people can can find and find useful. And uh, you know, I just want to finish up by you know reminding people that investing is a journey. You know, you have to go through the different phases, and the only way you're going to progress is is by taking action, gaining experience, learning from your mistakes, and moving forward continuously. There's no shortcuts, but the journey is is a lot of fun. Well said. Now, ab- absolutely. And really appreciate you coming back on the show again, Colin, and just providing so much value for all of my listeners and, and viewers out there. And uh, appreciate connecting again. No, my pleasure, MC. Thanks a million. Awesome. That is another episode of the Cashflow Ninja. Please check out all of our past episodes at cashflowninja.com. That's cashflowninja.com. Until next time, my friends, live infinitely. presentation is for educational and informational purposes only. The information being presented and considered does not consider your particular financial objectives or situation, and it does not make personalized recommendations. This material is not intended to replace the advice of a qualified tax and legal advisor or other qualified professionals, and you should not use the information in place of a customized consultation with a licensed professional regarding your specific personal financial objectives, situation and needs. We believe the information provided is reliable, but we do not guarantee its accuracy, timeliness, or completeness.